certain grade point average, I'm slipping in biology. My name's Sylvie Cooper. Like most 15-year-olds, what Sylvie Cooper wanted more than anything else was a best friend. Everybody hates me. Oh, well, everybody hates me, too. Do you want me to come over? Someone to talk to. Wow, this is great. Someone to understand her. Oh, Ivy, this is my mom, Georgie. Till death. Someone like Ivy. It's nice and cool in here. Um, I missed my ride. No. Dad, she's my best friend. But Ivy didn't just want a friend. Ivy wanted more. I hope that when I die, I'll have owned a sports car. I had a family. A home. And she'd do anything to get it. Hello, Mr. Cooper. Care for anything? Get out. What the hell are you doing in my mom's car? Won't ever happen again. Please, stop! Babe, I want to hear you say Are you accusing me of something? Why did you do something? No, Fred, come here. No, Fred, come here. We can all be together now. We can all be a family. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 145, Poison Ivy. One trashy summer rolls on. A lot of buzz after that Black Mama, White Mama episode. (laughs) Yeah, and there are, believe it or not, a few connections between this film and Black Mama, White Mama. Wow. Tom Skerritt. No. (laughs) Roger Corman. Uh, ah. The director of this movie, Cat Shea, was a one-time protege of Roger Corman. Okay. But let's not even go down that road because it's 1992 again. Wow, here we Once are. Once again, third time this month. And I was thinking about it. What does 1992 mean in terms of trashy movies? I don't know. There's no real answer to that. But these three movies that we've done, Basic Instinct, Single White Female, Poison Ivy, they all fit the bill. I do think that there is something that can be connected back to, like, the end of the 80s and heading into the 90s. There's definitely, like, a change in vibe, and I feel like this kind of weird, trashy, smooth jazz feel starting to get a little bit risque. I I do feel like... Yeah, but I would say there was a lot of that in the 80s, too. Yeah, okay. I think the one thing I'll roll it back. with this movie and 92 and the idea of the jailbait movie, of which was kind of a big thing, oddly, yeah. in the 90s, 
it's all to do with, of course, Amy Fisher and Joey Buttafuoco, which happened in 1992. Okay. Although I don't think this movie was tied to that because the turnaround on that would it wouldn't have been right. able to get this movie out. But it is a topic that's actually covered in Anchorman 2, believe it or not, which is this 24-hour news cycle that was just really revving up in the 90s because you had like oh, Lorena true. Bobbitt yeah. or Tanya Harding or the Amy Fisher thing. Or yeah. whatever, and what year was uh, OJ? That was ninety four. Okay. So yeah, same general time period. There was this titillating factor, exploitative right, right. factor to the news, and I think that definitely well, that's carried over in this movie into the movie. Yeah, and I think it carries over into movies. And so ninety two was this apex trashy year for our show, at least because we picked <laughs> three movies from it. Right. <laughs> Poison Ivy fits in with the crush and the babysitter and things like that well that's what i was thinking i mean yeah what year were those those after this okay i think the crush was 93 and yeah babysitter might have been around the same time i don't know the idea of making a movie about an older man succumbing to the wily charm of a younger woman i mean certainly something we're familiar with but the idea of having like an actual underage actress playing the role yeah. Seems kind of nuts. Smooch and Tom Skerritt all yeah. over the place. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, well, was that remake of Lolita, was that a hit? What, what were it they trying like to emulate no. here? I don't know yeah. what the fascination was with this idea in the 90s. I mean, I consider Alicia Silverstone to be the, the queen of this genre because she had the two movies okay, plus yeah. all of those Aerosmith of music lives. videos, right. which also felt very jailbaity. Yeah. So that was, like, her spot but drew comes in with a big performance here in this one and i think upon further review we found poison ivy to be less exploitative than you would think yeah and for some reason i'm not really sure why maybe it's just the perspective of the movie it's definitely not as skeezy feeling as like the crush or uh, i would the agree babysitter. with that yeah it certainly feels like they were trying to go for a, a little bit something different than yeah, yeah. just what they're getting after in the crush, which is like the temptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the recurring theme, at least in the crush and Poison Ivy, not so much the babysitter, where the girl is pretty much an innocent victim. And the is babysitter that they try is like to a lot of things that aren't really happening. Yeah, well, they try to position Drew in this movie and Alicia in the crush as yeah. the villain, which is always strange because you're talking about uh, an underage girl. How much talk does the crush and the babysitter usually get on movie podcasts or anything <laughs> i don't know it's just a fascinating idea that they tried multiple times they were like to we get this idea going like this is here. gonna work yeah. <laughs> i was thinking watching this movie i mean certainly it, it really starts to as, as it goes on it feels like the quality goes down a little bit but i, I was feeling like this Twin Peaks vibe to it a little bit with like like it starts off with kind of like the jazz music and it, they, they kind of seem like they have like a Laura Palmer Donna type friendship at times that's the big thing about this movie is that Sylvie's last name is Cooper I mean come on yeah they couldn't avoid some of the tropes of this genre they yeah, have yeah. the the saxophone that verges on cheesy yeah yeah they have the billowing white curtains and like the marble pillars and it feels very 90s softcore at oh, times. Yeah, right. But what they carve out, at least in parts of this, is a very 
interesting and realistic dynamic, a familiar friendship, I think, to a lot of people, boys and girls, mostly girls, but I think both oh, yeah. can sometimes have these weird friendships that are verging on predatory, but also they're both getting something out of it. It's not quite like a parasite, but more like they're both beneficial in their own weird ways. Because obviously Sylvie has no well, yeah, friends and even, is a loser. Right. And even being like a Sylvie type myself a little bit, <laughs> not quite as Sylvie. I mean, I, I wasn't like a shut-in or anything, but I certainly kind of like stayed in my lane a little bit more. But would go on to hang with habitual line crossers, <laughs> you know? And there was always a certain excitement to that. Yeah. And I think that's what... The director, Kat Shea, was going for her husband at the time. Andy Rubin was one of the producers. They were going for something a little different than what the studio wanted, which was Fatal Attraction with teenagers. And there's certainly an element of that there, yeah. but the That's a weird center elevator of the movie for me. is the friendship between the two yeah, yeah. girls. And her seducing the father of the family is almost secondary. I mean, that's the... The hook. That's the CD. Well, I certainly expected the movie to be way more about that than it was. Yeah. that's. It's almost as if Ivy, the character who's not really named Ivy, she is more obsessed with becoming Cheryl Ladd's character, the mother of the Georgie. family. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like more about that because she there's are there are those weird scenes where she's trying to fulfill the maternal role to Sylvie after... Georgie's death in the movie. Well, there's certainly a lot of uh, emotional mood swings going on <laughs> in this movie. The, at times, it's hard for me to tell what Ivy's motives are and what she's thinking. Yeah, and that's where you can definitely draw some similarities to the heady character from Single White Female, where there are points where I'm writing my notes, well, what is the goal? Like, what is right. the end game here? Uh, yeah, I thought we'd get to this, and I'm sure we can point it out a couple times, some glaring similarities with oh, Single for sure. White Female. Yeah. It's interesting that they came out in the same year. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> also, both kind of seem like Lifetime movies. Yeah. And this, of course, had a huge life on cable and VHS. That's where it really made its bread and butter. That's right. what caused there to be sequels. Because the theatrical run was pretty small, despite the fact that it had a pretty insane well, yeah, per when you theater gave me average. The numbers on this one, I was blown away. Yeah, the box office was... Only 1.8 million, but it was taken from 20 screens. That's it, yeah. which is a really high per screen average. Absolutely. And you think, why it's wouldn't like, they roll this out? Yeah. <laughs> Give it a shot. It's like if you're only going to put it on 20 screens, what are your expectations here? I mean, what was the budget? What do you think Tom Three million salary was for this? Not a lot. Yeah. $3 million budget. They probably got panicked because it scored really bad in the testing and the reviews were probably bad initially. But it's one of those movies that's become a cult classic and it's regarded differently now than it was then, for sure. Okay. And of course, Drew Barrymore's character is seen as like a style icon oh, wow. of the 90s. Good for her. Quite a look going on. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so 1992... Directed by Kat Shea, as I said, based on an original story by Melissa Goddard, who apparently had something like this happen in her real life. Kat Shea, other works I would know? The Rage Carry 2. Wow. She makes a point of it to say once she stopped working in the independent world and started working in the studio world, she got less offers and 
Oh. Potentially because she was a woman well, that's in a the sad 90s. Story. Yeah. I think taking, Maybe that's why they only put it on 20 screens. I think she knew that doing a sequel to the original Carrie was not going to go over well, but she wasn't really being offered much. Right, okay. And so that yep. was like a big offer for her to do. And yeah, that movie's pretty much hated. I've never seen it. Okay, so the screenwriter had a similar situation. She in wasn't the life. screenwriter, but she just original story. But okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Story by. Something happened to her like this as a teen. Uh, the Sylvie character, I'm hoping. Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> Certainly not the Georgie character. No. So follow the show on Twitter at oh, Greatest wow. Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. We got one more episode of One Trashy Summer left after this one. And it's a good one. I'm excited to do that episode. Yeah, it's a little more art Crossover house. appeal, I would say, with another category that we like to do occasionally. Yeah. Yes, for sure. This one was important to do, though, even once I realized we had three from 1992, because there's nothing trashier in terms of a genre than the jailbait yeah, genre. Yeah, just a pig, old man, such a dad weird chasing after a high school friend of his daughter's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't really think you could make this movie today for a lot of reasons, but you, sp- you definitely could not have the ending of this movie today. <laughs> Where yeah. the father basically gets off scot-free. Sure, yeah. Nothing happens. Right. Nothing bad happens. And it's just like a life lesson for the survivors, you know? Yeah. Whatever's going on with the Tom Skerritt character in general with this movie is kind of odd. You know, with his whole career yes. and everything. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that when we when it comes up. Yeah, but yeah. yeah I don't fully understand what's going on. I think, because yeah. somebody on the news would not have this house. Exactly. I mean, they're like yeah. the richest people ever. Right. <laughs> so I don't really understand what's happening. But, you know, whatever. There's not a ton of backstory, surprisingly. Sure. Yeah, I thought this one was important to do just because it's a trashy genre. But similarly oh. to Single White Female and Black Mama, White Mama, which we made the case that they're not as trashy as you would think. Yeah, yeah. This one also fits that bill, despite the fact that it's a very uncomfortable idea at well, the center of it. It's so weird to think of a movie making $1.8 million in the theaters and it inspiring three sequels. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like It was a different time. It, a movie absolutely. could be considered a hit if it did really well immediately on cable and VHS. So yeah. it, it's not like Poison Ivy 2 came out the next year it didn't come right. out until 96 yeah and plus just like four years later they had Alyssa milano in the mix so yes. it's like okay we might have a winning combination here yeah i want to talk about the sequels briefly but we'll probably do that at the end okay, to avoid too much confusion with this one but they're hot garbage i mean they're just <laughs> trash yeah they're more trashy than this and Honestly, if we wanted to just do straight trash, I would have loved to do Poison Ivy 3. Uh, I think it's called The New Seduction. Because <laughs> straight trash. That'll be August. <laughs> Jamie Presley's nude scenes in that are off the charts. All right. Unbelievable. I will say, there was a time in my life where Alyssa Milano was like really high on my rankings. I, I had it bad for Alyssa Milano for a couple of years. Well, there. she basically had a softcore phase with like the couple of softcore vampire Embrace movies. Embrace yeah. of the vampire. Yeah. And then Poison Ivy 2. Right. <laughs> I was Which, more into her for uh, her appearances on Charmed back in that time period. Yeah, you know. okay. So let's jump into the movie itself. We'll probably hit a couple of different side topics as we go. I guess we can start off right away, though, 
because the first character we see is the girl we will come to know as Ivy swinging on that rope swing. So what do you think about Drew Barrymore in general, Drew Barrymore in the 90s? Wow, What's your relationship like with with Drew? I thought you were (laughs) going to ask me about my thoughts in relationship with the rope swing. Because I found it odd that there's just a rope swing in the middle of the woods. Usually you see a rope swing, you know, some body of water is involved. Yeah, that was freaking me out. I was like, that thing could just break and yeah, then yeah. you'd be dead, basically. Uh, They're going off the side of a cliff. <laughs> I had seen, like, parts of this movie, but I never watched it really, like, end-to-end until doing it for the podcast. But my thoughts of Drew Barrymore are, like, the wedding singer. And, yeah. like, I, I never really think... I mean, certainly E.T. I watched as a kid. But how do you even... I mean, she's a child in that. Yeah. This probably period in between, her being, like, a child and her being, like an adult being in like Adam Sandler movies or like producing Donnie Darko. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, this is probably like a blind spot in my connection to her. Yeah. It's interesting. The wedding singer came out only six years after this, but it seems like it's a lifetime. Yeah. But I think drew is unique that way. She's had several lifetimes. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> rolled I, I, into one. I never knew really any of the dark past, the struggles with Drew Barrymore until I saw a David Letterman montage clip show, probably like around the year 2000, they were probably doing like craziest moments of the decade or something. Right. And it was when she like flashed him. Right. Yeah. 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 And that was after this movie. For oh, sure. 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 But that was like the first, I think like I was watching that with someone and I was like, what? Cause that was kind of like a crazy thing to see yeah that happened like well, she was I'd, in playboy too around that time yeah i, I didn't know that at all yeah so well, that's like, someone was i mean i don't really me. know the timeline of her getting clean but i mean I, i'm not thinking that she was like better by that point because i know that it all started really young for but her you think by the time that she was flashing david letterman she was better yeah oh okay because uh, yeah when when i saw this that was almost wedding singer time. okay so it would have been like a year or two prior probably yeah yeah somewhere in there whenever i saw it though like i think the person next to me was like yeah she was on drugs that night or whatever yeah maybe but yeah, I, don't, I don't know i mean i several I'm sure that person was speculating obviously but several battles for her yeah yeah it's interesting that she's in scream in the opening yeah scene. actually in one of the best kind of like surprise cameo appearances ever i think yeah and they were going for the whole kill your star quote-unquote off early like right. janet lee and psycho and so the audience is confused so that would have been 96 and so people i she must have been somewhat on the comeback trail by then or else that yeah. would not have been that effective well, like really. i said i don't know much about it i mean I, I don't know what all happened you just you hear some of the stories yeah and it works for this movie too because she's bringing that baggage in there's certainly a meta aspect to it where you know about drew's childhood being wild and rough and she'd already been through rehab prior to this movie and it definitely makes her look and seem older and i feel comfortable saying that because we know that things worked out for her it's not like i'm being critical and acting like oh she looked like she was 40 when she was 16 or whatever Yeah, yeah i'm just saying like she had lived a lot for those first 16 years and you know she's come out on the other side now and so everything's fine but yeah yeah, that adds to this character yeah i mean i'm always gonna think of her as the sweetheart from wedding singer she's a dream that's who she'll always be it's like yes yeah i was in love with her absolutely that came out when i was like 15 (laughs) or whatever 14 (laughs) 
I mean, I was just fantasizing. I was like doing the math. How much older is Drew Barrymore than me? Is there a chance? (laughs) (laughs) You know, right? It's like her, and then the prior year was probably Kate Winslet from Titanic or something. You know, (laughs) I get it. Yeah, (laughs) things haven't changed really. (laughs) Yeah, except my life is no different. Certainly, I don't think the actresses are older than you now. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, no! That'd be horrible. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean they're in the grave? (laughs) That's the only option. Okay. So it opens with Drew flying through the air. I think we can call her Ivy throughout the rest of this podcast. We never actually know her real name, which is a very bizarre plot point when you think about it. It makes it easier to go with Ivy. Yeah. Instantly, we have this narration from Sylvie, played by Sarah Gilbert, of Roseanne. Darlene. Yeah. In kind of a Darlene-type role. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard for her not yeah. to be, darling. <laughs> but right away, there's this obsession. And I think this narration is, I guess, post-everything. But she's looking back on it, and she's talking a lot about the appearance of Ivy. Yeah, She's fixated on it. There's certainly an obsession with the way that Ivy dresses, the way she behaves. It's very different. They certainly yeah, play spirit. up the wrong side of the tracks oh, element. Oh, yeah, there we go. Because they go to this private school, and Sylvie is super rich, right? but Ivy comes from like the wrong side of the tracks and is this scholarship student. Yeah. Has $150 boots somehow? Do you think that's really what Well, I think cost? there's a scene where Sylvie paid for those boots. Okay, okay. Yeah, which is another weird thing, because like, I think Sylvie is spending tons of money on her throughout the movie. But Yeah, it's a good friend to have. I don't really know what to make of this rope swing. It's just a place where people hang out because it's like at this point, at the beginning of the film, it's not like Sylvie and I have never talked. Yeah. Yeah. They've never talked before. And actually she's commenting on her through the narration. Right. Well, that's the thing. But she's like kind of has like a binder or a notebook or whatever. And she's like taking notes and the narration makes it seem like she's like writing these things about (laughs) Ivy. You know, I was like, who is this Zach? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's critical of Ivy. I mean, there's definitely a lot of your typical nineties critiques of a girl being too slutty or dressing like a whore or whatever, which certainly the whole idea of slut shaming did not really exist then. So, most of that comes from Sylvie and Sylvie's mother yeah. when it's brought up at all. But there's a fixation, and they haven't met yet. And then some kid runs down and is like, hey, there's a dead dog in the street. Again, here we go. It's a, it's right back to the single white female episode where I'm just like, too many dead dogs for me. <laughs> yeah, this one's been hit by a car, and they're all gathered around, and somebody says, oh, we have to put it out of its misery. Yeah. So here Ivy- comes fucking Ivy with the foreign object. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like the lead pipe. And this is not a small dog. No, no. So this it's is like <laughs> fucking Beethoven. <laughs> oh, Beethoven. Yeah. Not my shoes. Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, she's like takes this lead pipe and drills it through the skull. I mean, that you don't see it on camera. You're just like, what was she doing right. that killed this thing? Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. And some blood like splashes up on Sylvie. So this is the first indication, I guess, that Ivy is cold-blooded, heartless, maybe. <laughs> oh, what is that? Oh, never mind. It's dog's blood. We see Sylvie's hair has like an eye cut into it. It's yes. like some Egyptian symbol. Don't really think this factors in in any way, but it, she's like trying very hard to rebel <laughs> against her parents. Yeah. And How's her, it looking? 
It's stupid. Right. And she hides it half the time, even though it's weird because at one point she hides it and acts like she's keeping it from her parents, but then she references how her parents had seen it and were pissed about it. Yeah. And it's like, what do they think, that you can get rid of it and then it'll... (laughs) I don't know what... Not a lot of cool tattoos in this movie. No. (laughs) What did you expect? No, no. Yeah, I guess might as well point out now because neither of us noticed him in it but leonardo dicaprio somewhere in this movie for a second had a role that was cut out was a bully at the school so if you can get your hands on a copy of poison ivy let us know what scene you spot him in (laughs) yeah see if you can find him the two girls end up in i guess like the principal's office i don't really know what where they are they're both kind of in trouble i was i was a detention that's a i couldn't figure out he is i don't know it seemed like an empty office or something yeah they're wanna be bad girls there Right. I well, I felt like they were waiting for something. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? And we find out that Ivy's one of these scholarship kids, but Sylvie has called in a bomb threat to her dad, who's on the news, who does like these editorials. Yeah, and, this and that's why of... she's in trouble. <laughs> I guess I'm not really sure why <laughs> the school squad... would even be concerned with yes. it, unless she called from the school or something. Right. And this is actually like brought up a couple of times. Like even Tom Skerritt has a conversation with you know his boss or producer character right yeah. about this like kind of, but it's kind of like after the fact that you wouldn't think they would be talking about it again yeah I, I bought it though because he was saying the fbi is not looking into it anymore because we told him it was some kid or something yeah well yeah. i mean i guess if they actually evacuated the building and yeah okay you know it's kind of a big deal bomb threats in 92 i guess there was like oklahoma city bombing i don't know what year that was after this okay. so <laughs> foreshadowing Sylvie's dad, Daryl, shows up, played by Tom Skerritt, who we remember from Alien not that yeah, long ago. Yeah, right. Our hero from Alien <laughs> just killed. He's raging, like, instantly. Actually, I love this first scene with him where he's picking her up at the school. Yeah. Because it's just like, hey, will you give my friend a ride? Or no, it's actually um, Ivy asks, right? Yeah. And he's just like, no. <laughs> Yeah, he's yelling at Sylvie, and he says that she's grounded, and he's, like, flipping out. And then this girl shows up who Sylvie just met in detention or in the principal's office or whatever that was happening. Yeah, yeah. And she instantly just, like, sticks her whole, like, upper half of her body in through the window to, like, get the air conditioning, cleavage out. I mean, it's, like, such a slutty scene. (laughs) And if you weren't sure of the plot... yeah. You figure it out pretty quick. You're like, oh, okay, clearly they're showing Daryl, you know, sneaking glimpses. Right. I don't think he's mesmerized by this. Not though. yet. He kind of moves on from it pretty quickly. Yeah, because he doesn't want to give her a ride. But yeah. then <laughs> Sylvie's like, oh, she's my best friend. And then Daryl's like, well, what's her name? And she says Ivy because of the fake tattoo on Ivy's leg, which ha- is a cross with Ivy wrapped around it. Yeah, like That's I where said. the name comes right. from. But that's not her actual name, and we never find out what her real name is yeah which i guess is fine for the audience but it's like i don't know the, the fact that they bring that up in the movie makes you think like well couldn't the character when they have like a strange is? series of intimate moments between ivy and sylvie you would think maybe this would come up in conversation between the two yeah but she's just like oh i like it or whatever yeah that's it gives me a chance to be somebody else and so it begins i mean she gets into the car I think Daryl even says, like, good lord at one point, although not, (laughs) you know, not the way we would think. But he's just like, what the fuck with this chick? Because Ivy wants to get in the front seat right before when they're 
making that switch where oh, being Sylvie's getting yeah. getting outside, a sprinkler turns on. <laughs> and of course, now Ivy's getting into the car all wet. Oh no! I mean, it's just like come on. And she's being super flirtatious. She's sticking her bare legs up in the air, and yep. you're just like, okay. <laughs> Tom Skerritt's sweating. I mean, sometimes you just got to put it out on Front Street as to what your movie is. That way the viewer's not shocked later when it happens. Right. I mean, I You're certainly like, think they weren't pulling any punches. We're going down a road here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> this is what this is. Buckle up. <laughs> this movie is about fucking a high school girl <laughs> when you're like a 48-year-old man. I know. It is crazy to think about, though. I mean, Tom Skerritt just seems so much older than her. And I think yeah. it, it's because he is. <laughs> That's a good point. You know? Ivy and Sylvie become fast friends once Sylvie's grounding is over. They're meeting back up at the rope swing. We find out Ivy is basically without. She's poor. She doesn't have parents. Whatever. (laughs) She doesn't have parents. What is her living situation? She's living with her aunt. Who we never meet. No. Because her aunt gets checks for taking care of her because of whatever. But her backstory is mostly a mystery because we don't even know what we can believe. Because she does throw out a lot of shit at different yeah, yeah. times. And you're like, okay. Sylvie's telling lies. She's, it's pretty shocking when she's just like, my real dad oh. is black. You can tell by my I hair. I love that part. I was watching this and I was like, wait, what? I was like, <laughs> yeah, way to go, Georgie. It's certainly like a wait, what moment. Right. You're just like, what is she talking about? It, there's no indication really that she's joking. Right. Yeah, and then she talks about her attempted suicide and everything. You're just like, okay. And all of this turns out to be just bullshit because she's projecting some more exciting version to try to impress Ivy. Well, this is like during the kind of like a longer walk sequence with the two of them, right? Where they're talking about each other's backstories. Yeah, it's their first time hanging out after the ride because Sylvie was grounded. Right, but I, I, I like where this heads where they start talking about Ivy's relationship with her parents or whatever. And Sylvie's, like, pretty quick to get to what's going on here of, like, you want to be sexy to get attention from your dad. Yeah. (laughs) Armchair psychologist. Right. I mean, she's certainly hitting it on the nose. And Ivy's like, yeah, pretty much. And Sylvie's like, did it work? And Ivy's like, no. He's still left. Yeah, because Ivy tells that story about her dad's Hustler magazines, which, of course, Hustler, (laughs) whoa. Right. But that story feels real, and her story of oh, yeah. abandonment feels real, but we never get any yeah, confirmation of any of this You're just taking this, and the person telling us is certainly not reliable. It seems believable, though, because of the ease in which she just moves in with the Cooper family. I think so, yeah. There's not really any pushback from anyone. That aunt is getting her checks either way. Right. Sylvie invites Ivy in. She basically has no friends. She admits this. Her house is insane oh it's huge so the idea here is this giant pink castle basically her mom as we're going to find out here in a second is basically an invalid with emphysema so she doesn't work her dad is just like a a featured performer on oh. the local news yeah that, well he's not even like the main they anchor. talk about him doing editorials yeah but he's treated kind of like he would be the main anchor I don't know. I mean, even if he's making like 500000 a year from that, which I can't even imagine. Right. Like, where is this money for this house? I agree with you. So I do think that there's some backstory here that we don't know. Yeah. Because I do think one of the other guys at the network says to him, like, why do you even care? You don't yeah. need the money. Right. Do you think like his wife was family wealthy? 
It could be they don't explain it, really. This movie, for being what it is, low budget, kind of a sleazy idea, it has some cool cinematography. They shoot this first scene of those two in the house, Ivy and Sylvie, during like the magic hour. Oh, yeah. It's bathed in like this blue, pale blue light. It's overlooking the city. That shot is awesome. Yeah, the where it's... Yeah, that you, bay window type thing yeah, that yeah. just like looks out over the city. Yeah, you're getting the billowing curtains, but it's not during like some weird sex scene. It's, right. It just looks very cool. Sylvie's mom is Georgie. She's played by Cheryl Ladd. There's a Charlie's Angels connection between yeah. <laughs> Drew Barrymore and Cheryl Ladd. Oh, that's true. Cheryl Ladd most known for being on Charlie's Angels, and then Drew would go on to be in the, the I two feel movies. like I know Cheryl Ladd, but I don't know like from what most famously, like what would be the... And by most famously, I mean most famously for me. I, I don't, don't know. know what the thing I would associate. Are I you think, going by name or by face? Maybe it's just name. Because there's Diane Ladd, who's different. True. And Jordan Ladd, who's her daughter. Right. What's she in? She's been in some movies. <laughs> okay. I'll take your word <laughs> on that. Some we'll movies. talk later. Off mic. The idea here is that Georgie's dying from this emphysema. To me, she looks in good health. Yeah, she doesn't really look like it. They almost treat it, though, when they say this, like, yeah, she's full of shit. At least that's how yeah. Sylvie says it. Although that could be the denial of it. Uh, I think so. Not wanting to accept it. I think something we learn about the Cooper family now and as things go is that everyone's embarrassed of everyone else in this family. <laughs> it's just constant embarrassment. Yeah. Daryl's embarrassed of his daughter because she's A wild loser. and calling in bomb threats. The husband and daughter both embarrassed of the wife because of her illness. Daryl's embarrassed. The wife embarrassed of (laughs) the daughter because she lies all the time and makes up these insane stories about her real dad and her suicide and everything. I mean, like I said, Daryl's whole situation with his career is bizarre. I mean, he is like feeling like he's getting pushed out. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to replace him. Yeah. And he seems very vain about the whole thing. Like, he likes being on camera. Right. And he definitely has, like, this persecution complex because we never really understand what's happening in terms of him being pushed out. It's just something he talks about. The three-way conversation between Ivy, Sylvie, and Georgie is a battle for who can be the cringiest. They're saying very cringy things. Something that's kind of recurring throughout the movie with Ivy is her just saying things that are embarrassing. When confronted with this idea that Georgie's dying, she's talking about, like, energy never dies. Oh, yeah, yeah. She just shouts stuff out. And I don't know, she's kind of got this unique ability to say things that catch people off guard in a weird way that just kind of make them accept her, which you wouldn't think would be the way that would work, but I kind of get it, where people just kind of, like, are like, okay, well, all right. You know, and they just want to move on. They don't want to push the issue, whether that's in this moment where – Georgie is not really approving of Ivy's look at first to be yeah. friends with her daughter and wants to get rid of her. Then all of a sudden it's just like she's caught off guard by the shit that Ivy's saying. And then she's just like, yeah, OK. <laughs> well, I, that's and I was getting to this point where it's like already this is ridiculous to me that this 16 year old girl is manipulating these adults like so easily. <laughs> adults, you say. Well, they at one point she talks about how old she is and she says she's 38. <laughs> Which I literally was like taking a razor blade out to slip my wrist. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) She's just dying. (laughs) Yeah. That does seem insane. It seems like they could have made her like 48. Yeah. Ivy tells a story about her coked out mom. This also feels 
very true. I think so. Similarly to the hustler story, but again, we don't know. And she keeps up this silver tongue devil routine of saying these things. And I guess the takeaway from this first encounter with Sylvie's mom is that there's room for Ivy to maneuver here. Yeah. She has sensed a weakness. This is almost like the perfect mark of a family. Right. There's enough <laughs> tension and distance and weirdness here where someone like Ivy can snake her way into it. Well, there's and like exploit a it. bunch of times where it feels like Sylvie is barely even involved in what's going on with the family. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's almost an afterthought yeah. to everything that Ivy's thinking about. We get a quick montage of, of Ivy basically moving in with the Coopers. We get some of Daryl's early <laughs> that was quick. glances over. Oh, yeah. It's a smart play by Ivy, though, because she makes sure to win Mom over first. Yeah. She knows that, like, Dad is a perv, and so that will be easy. And Sylvie is wrapped around her finger already because Sylvie is a loser and never had any friends, and Ivy seems super cool. Yeah, she can point her in the So Mom right is, direction. like, the biggest roadblock, so it Which makes lasts sense. all of two seconds, though. Yeah, but they show you the scenes of her like talking to her. Right. They seem to have similar Building interests in clothes and all that yeah. shit, where she's like wearing her clothes. Well, that's the thing because Georgie was like a babe and like a cool chick. It's like, where did Sylvie come from? <laughs> come on, Matt. <laughs> Brutal. Towards the tail end of that montage, there's a funny line from Sylvie where she says, "I never knew someone that looked that much like a slut." Here she was, my best friend. <laughs> What an unbelievable quote. Yeah, well, there are parts of it that I was thinking, like, it kind of has, like, some Heathers-type feels a little bit, you know? Yeah. The way that Sylvie writes things, I mean... Yeah, but I think, like, this is not supposed to be funny. Okay. I, th- I think it's dead-ass serious when it says stuff like that. Well, it can be serious and still funny to me. <laughs> well, that's true. Over time, the glances from Daryl become stares. There's this weird flirting on the back porch. Daryl knocks her boots into the water yeah and, and here we have the big hands are cashed for a new right one. those are 150 dollars boots asshole <laughs> i don't think she says asshole no. at that point of course though sylvie's paying for everything and she's very happy to do it and there's montages of her buying ivy clothes she buys ivy a tattoo later where which you know we'll get to that scene right that's a whole other can of worms oh yeah yeah so obviously from the very start Ivy's taking advantage of Sylvie in certain ways. First financially and then And that's the thing. Like too. Sylvie seems like smart enough to put this together, but I guess she's okay with it just for you know, if she yeah, has a friend. I think like part of the idea though with Sylvie is that money doesn't really have any meaning. So she's not really concerned about it. True. Like she's not thinking about it's just paper that she's taking out of a wallet. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like Here you go, have fun. Yeah, and I think this character of Ivy is interesting because she's sort of the villain of the movie, but she's also sympathetic. I mean, she's this child that seems basically neglected. Yes. And is in search of love and acceptance from a family. Sure. But just go, ends up going about it in such a weird There's way. There's definitely a lot of issues here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we get our first single white female moment where something turns when a call comes in from this group called Head Start. It's a group that Sylvie volunteers for to teach inner city kids to read or something. And so Which they call kind of a crazy character trait. Yeah, I mean I, guess I, she's, I buy it. She's got time on her hands. Yeah, she's not doing anything else. Okay. 
It's one of those things that you get convinced is going to help you get into college or right, something. Right, yeah. It's a, it's a resume builder. Yeah. And she's not in the room when the call comes in, so Ivy answers. She looks at this calendar. I was like, oh, yeah, Sylvie's free that day. She, she'll be able to help out. Meanwhile, the day that they're asking for is the day of Daryl's party, which is this big work function that he's putting together and throwing at the house. And so we can see that Ivy's orchestrating something sinister. We're not quite sure what. Yeah. But she's clearly lying. She knows that this is the day of this party that Sylvia is supposed to help out with. And then she's telling Head Start, yeah, she's free. Yeah, a lot of build up to this party. Well, it's her big moment. It is, yeah. So then they go get these tattoos. During the scene, they fight. They make up. <laughs> It's a whole thing. They're yeah. lying to the tattoo artist about how old they are. I think probably pretty in line with most teenage girls' experience. Yeah. This guy who's like this tattoo artist, though, he's just like, what a creep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of creeps floating around in this movie, actually. It's lousy with creeps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie right up our alley. When we get to, and I don't want to dig into it yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to when we get to the uh, the gentleman who picks Sylvie up outside the hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have some thoughts on him. Yeah. In an attempt to improve his failing career, Daryl decides to throw this work party at his house. And since his wife is a constantly ill recluse, (laughs) he's counting on Sylvie to help him. I mean, you can't call it a fake party, but. Pointless party? Right. (laughs) Yeah, but for him, it's like he has an ulterior motive for the party. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. He's trying to improve his standing at work because he's convinced that he's on the way out there. Yeah. But as we're leading towards this party and as it's becoming the day of, Which, we know way, what Ivy has done. If you're trying to like keep your position, I mean, coming off as desperate isn't the way to do it. This is a desperate ploy for me. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know how this works with being on TV. I don't get, again, <laughs> this this whole like turmoil around his career, I just it's hard to figure out. Yeah, well, the movie's mostly told from the perspective of the two girls, so I would think they'd be mostly unaware of what exactly the details are. Yeah, I think there's more to it, for sure. Leading into the party, Mom walks out onto the balcony as if she's going to commit suicide because she's been depressed because of her illness. Sylvie pulls her back in. This is foreshadowing or something. It's setting a base. There's a little scene in the hall where Ivy runs into Daryl and he's not wearing his hairpiece and he's bald. Yeah, horrifying. Doesn't slow Ivy down at all. No, though. no, she in loves fact, it. it revs, it's revving her engine up. Right. She's like, I like fuzzy things. Yeah. It's like touching his disgusting head. Right. Yeah, that scene, I think, in the unrated cut is longer and weirder, but it's still pretty weird. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, he seems like a pretty vain dude. Yeah. Like, I certainly don't think he had hoped that this would happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's fucked up that you're having a hope about impressing your 16-year-old daughter's <laughs> friend. Well, that's the thing, though. I think, like, anyone. Yeah, that's true. Like, he just does not want to be seen like this. Yeah, it's such a weird scene because it definitely separates Ivy from, like, your normal 16-year-old girls. Because even if they want to entertain fantasies of older men or their friend's dads or whatever... I think they're going to be pretty disgusted by this display with Daryl's so, head. Yeah, right. It looks really bad. Like It doesn't even look like a normal, bald situation. It looks like something happened almost. <laughs> You're just like, what? <laughs> Was there an accident with a weed whacker? Like, right. what, what is going yeah, on like, with that head? 
I mean, why not go for if you're gonna do the wig thing anyway? Why not do like the full shave on top? I don't know. You know, the day of the party, Sylvie's all ready to help her dad with this thing, and then Head Start Van shows up and she gets guilted into doing it, <laughs> and she's pissed at Ivy because Ivy immediately is like, "Oh man, I fucked up. Like I, th- I told them you weren't busy. Blah blah blah." Oh no. But the long and the short of it is... Scheme. I smell a scheme. Ivy's going to be now left alone to be the one to help Daryl with this party while Sylvie's out of the house and presumably Georgie's upstairs (laughs) secluded. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. Ivy, master manipulator. Yeah, everything with this like chaotic world with the constantly sick mother, with the desperate for friends Sylvie... And the vain, aging, fading Daryl. The Cooper house becomes this perfect storm of circumstances for what Ivy ends up doing. Yeah. Everything works out perfectly in that sense. Although it's never really 100% clear where she thinks this is heading. The size and look of this house, you kind of feel like the four people could live in this house and like never even bump into each other. Yeah. You know? We never get like a full feel of the inside but from the outside but just it is like enormous. georgie's room leading out to that balcony feels like its own living space yeah so after the party daryl who is supposedly this recovering alcoholic has gotten a little drunk yeah he's dancing with ivy and hugging on ivy and she's dressed in georgie's dress oh no and georgie hasn't shown up and they're having this weird moment together in the kitchen or something. They're dancing with this music. And then all of a sudden the lights come on and it's Georgie and they're, they've been caught. Oh, boy. And it turns into this really awkward scene. Yeah, but Ivy like pretty quick on her feet. Not till it returns to the bedroom. but Well, yeah, they go up to the bedroom and it's Daryl and Georgie. And Daryl's trying to like, he's like humming, humming, <laughs> trying to get out oh, of this. Oh, yeah, struggling. Like, I don't know what it is. You know, I was just dancing. <laughs> right. And then Ivy comes in with the save, really. With the two glasses of champagne. She's like, I thought you both could use this. It's like Which, more of that silver tongue devil shit. This part was like really funny because, yeah, I thought you both could use a drink. And she goes to hand it to Daryl, who's like reaching out willingly for it. And George is like, he doesn't drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like him like going in to grab the glass and then stopping. <laughs> yeah. And somehow she spins this whole thing of. Daryl being sad about Georgie, I guess. And, right. and Georgie it seems like it's, wearing the dress and went in to comfort him. And I don't know. It kind of seems like it's working, but it doesn't really matter because she drugged the champagne. Yeah. and <laughs> Which takes effect immediately. Yeah. One Georgie sip. is just out like a yes. light. So things right there next to the passed out Georgie start getting physical between Daryl right. and Ivy, which so is at this pretty point, wild. Hard to really be on daryl's side at all anymore <laughs> yeah i mean daryl is definitely a dirtbag yes i think so <laughs> there's no way around it i mean You're right you ser- can make the argument before okay listen listen obviously he should have never been involved in this but it's like if you're just saying okay she's like pulling moves she's getting him drunk she's like putting all these plans out there and acting on them you're like all right as long as he doesn't like cross any lines here but now this is like completely in villain territory yeah <laughs> There's definitely like a lot of pantyhose feet action in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know, he kinda like puts his head between her legs. I mean, it's only for like a second. I'm not really sure what we're supposed to right. take. And again, from that. this is where I get back to like 
it's one thing to have an actress like portraying an underage girl in a movie and have something like this going on but it's just so strange to me yeah having an actual underage yeah she was woman. basically 16 when they were filming this yes with like a over 40 male yeah it's, just, it's a really delicate situation right? filming those scenes. I think so, yeah. Yeah, could you imagine if they tried to release like this movie as is now? I cannot. I think it would be complete pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> the next few days, Ivy starts pulling a little bit more of a single white female, specifically with Georgie. She's wearing more of her clothes. She's right. acting like her. She's going down there and finding that car in the garage, et cetera. And it's like, it gets really weird because she's still sharing the same bed at And night these are the parts of the movie where it Sylvie. keeps feeling like, yeah, it's, but it's like, how much of this is about the Tom Scared thing at this point? Like, the idea that we think this movie is really about. Like, there's so many other things going on with both Georgie and Sylvie. Yeah, it seems, it's more like she wants to replace Georgie and the family yeah. than just fuck the dad. Right. Because she's able to successfully do that. Pretty easily. <laughs> She's like, I'm your mommy now, yeah. Sylvie. She's like trying to breastfeed her. Right. <laughs> it gets Which real fucking weird. Sounds crazy, but it seems like she actually is saying things like that. To oh, Sylvie. yeah, and it gets that gets much worse as it goes along. Right. So Daryl basically now full-blown back on the sauce, which is totally thanks to Ivy's influence and kind of pushing him there. <laughs> Again, this is one of those things that I keep thinking to myself, especially when we get to the scene with his career and like where that's headed i'm thinking like is him being back on the booze like factoring into this i don't know i mean it seems like a cheap way to give the character an out okay but i don't know maybe that's what they were trying to say i yeah. don't it's it's not doing it for me okay it's not an excuse <laughs> even though sylvie's like mostly unaware of all of this stuff like the really bad stuff yeah she's having like the normal teenage friends issues with ivy always being there and they're getting you know she's just getting on her nerves and she's getting irritated she's kind of had it with her because first she catches her fucking with her mom's car and then the whole incident with the dog because now right. this dog that sylvie has who only liked oh. her now likes ivy too yeah, yeah. and in fact seems to like ivy more well and that I, infuriates sylvie. this like really threw me and made me laugh the scene where ivy is fucking around with the car or whatever, and Sylvie shows up and is mad and, like, yelling at her or whatever. And then I don't know what sets her off about Fred originally, because I guess Fred's just out the there. The night of the party, when she got home, the dog was sleeping with right. Ivy instead of, like, greeting her. And it's just it was a chain reaction over time where it seemed like the dog was more into Ivy. So I can't remember the line exactly, but it's something along the lines of <laughs> Sylvie yelling at Ivy being like, you're not my friend, and Fred's a traitor, and likes you more, or whatever. And then Ivy goes, that's not true. And I'm thinking to myself that they're talking about the first part of it, like you're not my friend or like you're a bad person to me or something right. like that, like that idea. But then the she's saying what's not true is that Fred likes Ivy more. So yeah. then this leads to this whole... The calling of the dog. Who's yes. the dog going to go to? Right. Ivy has the dog treats in her pocket, so she wins. <laughs> so imagine planning that out i don't think she planned out that she, exact moment but because at first she didn't even want to do it okay yeah. and then one but then she started but to then think, she had like, to win yeah i was like well fuck you I'm was gonna. she just carrying these treats around in her pocket well they show her getting the treats out of the garage yeah 
I think that was her whole thing of like getting the dog to like her in the first place was the, was the treats. Okay. And then it led into. And this, this is thing. like at Sylvie getting the dog to like her. The dog is just another member of the family. That's she's true. worked on yeah, every single right. one, so she's like moving along. I got you. So, in a rage, Sylvie skips school, <laughs> and she goes to that rope swing. This is like maybe the most hilarious moment of the entire movie, where she's like been afraid to go on this rope swing, even though Ivy's tried to get her to do it. She's standing there. Whoever was on it gets off and leaves, and so it's just swinging there by itself. She goes to grab it, and she's kind of holding it. And then she pushes it out over the ledge without going on it. Then it comes back, and then those two kids, a guy and a girl, run up, grab the rope swing basically out of her hand without saying anything, push her to the side, and then just jump on it and go off. And then she just like shrugs her shoulders and walks away. There's yeah. no dialogue. Just two people run up and take the swing out of her hands, and they're like, get out of the way. Sure. It's so funny. It's like, what is happening? Yeah, it kind of makes me reminisce on my own life. I mean, <laughs> you know, certainly feel like I've been involved in some moments like that. Me being the one pushed to the ground, no <laughs> one caring. Push her over the side right? of the cliff. Yeah. Your broken body down there while they're swinging over top of you. <laughs> Enjoying life. <laughs> Peeing on you as yeah. you're down there. So since Sylvie skips school, Daryl shows up to give a ride and only ivy's there and he doesn't even seem to care when ivy's like yeah coop didn't come to school and he's just like all right well i'm giving you a ride then yeah and at first she's like fucking with him and like teasing him and being like no and making him like drive alongside her and then like swerve in front of her to make her get in the car then he's like yelling at her a little bit it's all very like gross because you're talking about a 50 year old man and a child (laughs) you know what i mean it's i guess supposed to be like flirtatious in a way but it's so weird yeah because of the age dynamic the two of them are in a mercedes and they're just driving around and then they go off road into the woods which is so weird it's not even like a dirt road they're literally in grass in between trees driving along in the mist yeah i will say this because it's misting here and this is going to be a recurring theme especially through the end of this movie but it's already happened a few times leading up to this a lot of rain for la I think so. It's rained right a lot yes. in this movie. And you're just like, what city are they supposed to be in? Because yeah. it's clearly Los Angeles. They well, filmed know. it in L.A. It's a vibe thing. <laughs> I get it, but it's just weird. There's a lot of rain. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's like pouring, too. Several it's times. It's not yeah. a light drizzle. I mean, what can we say? Out in the woods, on the hood of a Mercedes in the rain, in the mist, there's a drunken it's sex like a scene. fucking white snake music video. He's <laughs> Tom Skerritt's like, yeah. I'm definitely going to fuck this child on the roof of my car. <laughs> it's so bizarre. A point of no return, I would say. Yeah. I mean, oof. I don't know. It's just, we touched on it at the beginning, the whole concept of these jailbait movies, how there was multiple versions of this movie, and it seemed perfectly normal in 1992 for this to come out. And yet now it's like, I'm not super familiar with like, really young actors and actresses so i don't know who would be yeah, the well, best. what the comparable would be yeah i'm trying to think of like who a 16 year old would be like maybe i don't know if you go back in time and you're like <laughs> i know the thing that i was thinking of was like maybe if they did this 10 years ago with selena gomez yeah or like uh, I, I that was my most recent i was thinking like like chloe grace moretz or somebody yeah. from like recent time and then they had like <laughs> all the people we can think of like well into their 20s who would be even be like the right 50-year-old dude that would be like willing to do this movie? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just 
Barry Pepper. It just seems very strange that they would do this, and it was just accepted, and I don't know. That's why it's one trashy summer. I mean, this is a trashy cable movie. It is. Because I will say that, okay, for the Alyssa Milano one, for the Jamie Presley one, for the other shitty one, it's fine that you release a Blu-ray with an unrated version. But the fact that they release this first one with an unrated version is really sleazy, even though there's no like nudity well, or anything. But like that's the implication of an unrated cut is like, oh, this is going to have the real sexy stuff in this one. And it's like, well, you're talking about a movie where the, the lead sexy woman is 16 it's like it's so weird that's the thing that's weird about this shit to me though like we kind of touched on it we talked about it in the single white female episode we're like these movies though kind of share similar premises to fucking lifetime original movies which target demo 50 year old women yeah well i don't know this may be the inspiration for some of the lifetime movies this may like predate the okay the lolita stories that lifetime was doing i don't know either way obviously people were liking this storyline one of the posters or one of the different promotional things has like that picture where there's a photo of the family and there's a rip in the picture you know (laughs) it's signifying the tear and of course like in this version, Ivy's doing the tearing of the photo. Yeah. And that was just a big thing. I mean, it didn't necessarily have to involve a teenager. I mean, there was, like, the hand that rocks the cradle. True, or, true. Or whoever. People, I guess, you know, people just like Somebody the coming taboo. in and fucking up a family. Right. <laughs> Seducing the weak husband. <laughs> just pathetic. So after this weird sex scene in the woods... Where you're kind of like, okay, because clearly he's like reaching up her shirt, although they probably used a body double for that. Well, that's the thing. And also, I should point out, we were talking about this episode before we started recording it, and I didn't even realize that Drew Barrymore was not at least 18 when this movie was filmed. It just didn't even cross my mind that she wouldn't be. Well, yeah, because it feels strange to be having these scenes with Tom Skerritt. Right. But afterwards, Ivy comes back to the house, and she seems to be like alone. So where did he even go? <laughs> just dropped her off. He was like, all right, I'm going to run to McDonald's. Because <laughs> she's ringing the doorbell in the rain, and Sylvie's just like, all right, well, I'll let you in. She's like, well, you have a key. <laughs> and Ivy's like, I didn't know if I should use it. <laughs> and she lets her in. It seems like, okay, problem temporarily solved between the two after the dog fiasco that yeah, morning. Yeah, they're back in. The next day, Georgie plays a cassette tape in her bedroom that Sylvie made of herself playing piano and had given to her for her birthday. This is like a special piece of music that Sylvie wrote, I guess, and then yes. recorded on a tape. She then walks out onto the balcony, which is her M.O., to just stare off of that balcony outside. Well, you know, when I've you're e- sick and a shut-in, you just kind of stare aimlessly out into the world from a balcony. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was going to say, you have a balcony. I know, and I'm staring at it all the time. Oh, yeah. Ivy appears. She's got, like, this nude-colored dress, which right. the first <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, yeah, and the way like, they oh, shoot it, it's like you just kind of see her, like, scurrying around in the background. Yeah, she, like, fades in from the darkness, and she's wearing basically a flesh-colored dress. She talks to Georgie for a second. She's like, you think about it a lot, don't you? <laughs> like, jumping. She's like, sometimes. And then... There really isn't that much to the conversation. Then she just pushes Georgie in the back, and Georgie somehow spins and grabs Falls onto. Back. Yeah, is like leaning over the 
I mean, it seems like it would be so easy for her to recover from this. You know what I mean? I don't know. It, I don't know how she spun. Well, I know. I thought she pushed her off the side, of, and then all of a sudden she's hanging onto her wrist. Right, but she has to be the angle that I'm picturing, like kind of like leaning back over the edge, you know, over the railing or whatever. I don't think there is a railing. Is there nothing? I mean, there's something. There's those giant columns, but she's like standing in between. Oh, so I don't think there's any other like fence or anything. There's nothing there. Right. Okay. All right. So I guess she that pushes makes sense. her in the back and somehow turns and grabs onto Ivy's wrist. Yeah. And it is trying to like hang on, and then Ivy doesn't help her, and she just slides off and falls. Right. And so, of course, because of what it was established earlier in the film and her erratic behavior with the drugs and being ill and everything, suicide is just assumed, and they <laughs> have a funeral and everything. Yeah, the cops didn't want to put too much work into it. Well, there is they that asked, moment like, three where questions. Sylvie comes in and hears the tape, and she shuts it off, and she's calling out for her mom. She thinks her mom's not there. Yeah. And so Ivy hides behind the door so that she can't see her. But, like, I don't know. They didn't think Ivy was there. So what else would they think? I agree. She's someone that stood on that balcony a lot and seemed depressed. It's fun. There's a little bit more generic Sylvie narration to kind of work over through the funeral and everything. After that whole chaotic day, I guess, where they are in the limos and they have the whole funeral... Sylvie's walking around through the house and she finds Ivy sleeping in Georgie's bed. Which at first you would think, okay, this is going to be a repeat of the car scene where Sylvie's going to be like enraged. Right. But Ivy's just like, well, I thought you might want to be alone tonight. Next thing you know, Sylvie is in bed with her and they're just like laying there. I'm your mom now. Basically, Ivy talks to Sylvie as if she was Georgie. Right. And he's like, well, just pretend I'm her and tell me the things you wanted to say to her and all this stuff. It's, it's a, such a weird scene after Ivy kills Georgie. And I, look, we've been driving at it. I get what they're going for, that Ivy wants to replace Georgie. But it just seems so strange the way that it plays out. Yeah. Well, I guess the idea is that she's hyper-sexualized. So she's taking the place of the person that's having sex with the father and the husband rather than the logical thing which would be to replace sylvie right as the daughter in yeah, the family yeah. which is makes it weirder obviously and more sleazy and interesting <laughs> from that perspective <laughs> yes time passes and things seem to fall into some sort of a routine obviously sylvie is unaware of what happened with her mother but i'm assuming during this time period ivy's think- fucking daryl <laughs> at least sometimes you I mean, think? you. how much remorse are we seeing from Daryl over? Doesn't seem that broken up about no. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, I mean, at this point, he's hitting the bottle pretty hard, uh, you know. Yeah. And we see just I hate to say this, but okay, let's say that Georgie was actually terminal and she had become this right. okay. drag. It's like fucking Zelda <laughs> in Pet Cemetery. I didn't mean like, like drag is in like a bad time. I mean like a, a literal <laughs> like anchor. He's like, man, sometimes I just think about, you know, maybe putting a pillow over her face. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> no, it's literally like Zelda in Pet Cemetery. Right. It's like it's like everyone thought I was crying, but I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia is slightly more attractive Zelda. Slightly. Yeah. A little bit. Sylvie decides to wash off the old Corvette in the garage, mom's old Corvette. She's washing it off. Ivy shows up. She's like, let's go for a drive. Right. All three of us. Yeah. She's got the urn with the ashes, which is so dark and, and you weird. Know, oh, it is. But you know where I thought that this was headed? Fucking Big Lebowski. <laughs> just, 
just driving around shoebox of ashes with the top down in the convertible. Yeah. <laughs> <Close> back. <laughs> Hi, mom. She convinces Sylvie to do it. Ivy drives. It's a stick. She has no idea what she's doing. She's pretty much out of control. Immediately. Oh yeah, right. But they're flying through the hills. But it's like no idea what she's doing. She should be like stalling this thing out, not like, yeah, you know, swerving all over the place. And then of course you know these two get into another spat. Yeah, it starts out innocently enough, but Ivy's <laughs> like so dumb that she's humming that piano piece oh, that right. Sylvie wrote that was playing when. Georgie died. Which seems like a crazy thing to recall. Yeah, because A, it wasn't like it was super catchy. Right. It was just like some classical <laughs> yeah, piano right. piece. Although maybe she was doing it on purpose because she's just fucked up. Yeah, weird. she likes to kind of rile things up. Sylvie doesn't really even suspect her of killing her. She's just like, oh, were you there? What did she say? Right. Like she just wants to know if her mother had said anything that Ivy day. immediately... What the fuck are you accusing me of? Are you you accusing me of something? <laughs> just like screaming. I want you to say it. She's panicking. Yeah. They're swerving all over the it's place. It's like guilty conscience. They're about to hit like this other car, then they swerve what out looks, of the road and hit a tree. Yeah, well, it looks like they're going to fly off a cliff, but then it turns out that it is a road, but then they go off-road into a tree. What happens to that other driver in that other car, by the way? He just sees two teenage girls drive off the he road. He drives faster away. Yeah, he's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> he had a record. He, he didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, watching this part, we see a little bit go on, and, you know, I'm sure you're going to talk about what Ivy does here, but all I could think of was, like, God damn, that would suck when you didn't have a cell phone. Yeah. It's just like, all right, the other We're person in the dead. car is friggin' unconscious, we're like over a cliff somewhere. I gotta like walk and find somebody. Yeah, basically. You hope that like another driver would help you, but that other guy was just like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. So since Ivy was driving, she switches seats because Sylvie's unconscious. So she pulls her over to the driver's side seat. You can see the steering wheel impression on <laughs> Ivy's this chest. Is like eastbound and down. Remember that episode where him and Stevie get into the. Car accident and moves him over in the driver's seat. <laughs> I was you actually driving. I was actually thinking more of the Sopranos where Ivy just like reaches over and <laughs> plugs her nose, <laughs> holds her nose until she's dead. Yeah. And that, thinking of that as like a joke made me then question like, why doesn't she just kill Sylvia? Well, that's true. Yeah. It seems like that's what she wants to do. The thing that she's kind of like moving towards doesn't seem like a very great position to be in. Just being alone with freaking Tom Skerritt? I mean, he seems like well, kind of I, th- a bore. I do think that you have to afford for the idea that she's just eventually going to kill them all. She doesn't really know what she's doing. True. There's no, she's not really thinking of like a long term future. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, she's supposed to be 16 and mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> You're always wondering what the motives are of crazy people in these movies. Well, I, you know, I can remember being 16 and mentally ill, <laughs> sleeping with your friend's dads. <laughs> Hanging out with them in the middle of the night when they aren't wearing their toupees. <laughs> They're driving you out into the woods yeah. and fucking you on top of their cars in the rain. Yeah. It's really romantic. Sure. So we cut to the hospital. Sylvie has now come to a conclusion. She realizes that something's fucked up. Ivy here. probably killed her mom. Ivy is evil. But then Daryl walks in and he's just like, you are a lying bitch. He's like, he's like <laughs> so bad. This scene was so crazy because. Well, we don't get anything between the accident and here with Daryl. So you don't you expect him to show up and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're OK. He's just like 
you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, and he just assumes that Sylvie was lying. Like, right. Not you assumes, were driving. He tells her yeah. that she's lying. Like you were driving. This is your fault. Yeah. And he's not buying anything about Ivy. So then the rest of the movie becomes this insane mom dream slash hallucination. Which makes no sense Where to me. Where they keep intercutting Ivy and Georgie. They needed to cut a scene in here, add a scene where they're like, all right, uh, Miss Cooper, we're drugging you to go to sleep or right. something. Because there's no scene of them drugging her or anything. She seems completely with it and normal when her dad comes in. Yes. And then the next thing you know, she's hallucinating this whole shit for the rest of the movie right. that is intercut well, with reality. Well, the only reality. thing I was thinking is the blood loss. She's... She's in a hospital. Everything should be fine. If, okay. if there's yeah. so much blood loss, they would need to be doing like a transfusion or something. All right. I was trying to come up with something. I don't know. She just <laughs> all of a sudden starts acting crazy. Well, if it's blood I loss. I love like when we try to fill in the plot holes of like a movie like this. So like the screenwriters are just like, yeah, we really didn't, you know. Well, I just think it's weird that they have a scene of her being lucid True. and normal. And then all of a sudden the rest of the movie, she's like losing it. Right. I don't know. It's just throw something in there to explain it. It's not that hard. So it, she breaks out of the hospital. Essentially, yeah. And and this is what I was talking about earlier. So she kind of just walks down to the road and like a what looks like a bus pulls up. So I'm thinking, oh, she's at a bus stop. And then it's just like some kind of like Marilyn Manson looking dude. Just yeah. Like punk rocker. And he's like, come aboard. And I, I was just thinking to myself, like, all he does is take her and drop her off at home and gave her some clothes. And I'm just like. Is this the sketchiest hitchhiker situation that did not end in a violent crime? Yeah, he was just like a weird punk rock fairy godmother. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, he picks her up, and he, she's, like, bloody in, in this hospital outfit, and he's like, oh, cool costume or whatever. Did you, you do know? the makeup yourself? Right, and yeah. it's like, buddy, she's five steps away from a hospital. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Complete idiot. Right. So he hitches his ride. She's having more hallucinations about her mom where her mom is morphing into Ivy. Ivy's morphing into her mom. She's out of her mind. Yes. So she walks into her house, unbeknownst to anyone, and she basically sees, like, her dad full nude, full nude Well, this is, right. I mean, I was shocked at this scene. You have the the woman clothed, and obviously with good reason. Well, at first it's Cheryl Ladd. True. Before it turns into Ivy. Right, but... Just Daryl completely nude. Yeah, it reminds me of that scene from I know, Roadhouse. I knew exactly. Because same. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. I love how we say stuff like that. I'm sure a couple of our listeners might get that, but most right. people are just like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm sure we talked about it if you want to go back to episode 25 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just the guy getting fully nude yeah. while the chick wears almost all of her right. clothes. <laughs> That's commitment. Yeah, this is the the cliche scene that you would get in this with like the billowy curtains blowing around them. It's night. Yep, right. They're by like a piano, but also like marble pillars. And you're just like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out that it's Ivy that's actually having sex with them, which is really dark. And Sylvie is just like, Oh no, dad. Well, she's like freaked out and runs away. Right. Daryl runs out to chase her and then Ivy. And then they're like falling down on the stairs outside in the rain. And this is where he finally puts it together by the giant red mark going across her chest. Well, it's like a huge bruise. I wrote down, how big was that fucking steering wheel? It goes like, <laughs> most steering wheels are just a small circle. This thing goes from shoulder well, to shoulder like on her. this thing is like she got clotheslined by like a lead pipe. <laughs> yeah. 
you know what? She was the dog That's from true. the beginning of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like he didn't notice that before. She's been in this well, like dark scantily in clad outfit. I don't know. He was like, man, I just want to fuck this teenager. I'm not worried about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but let me take off all my clothes first. <laughs> I need to get comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so Daryl drives off to chase down Sylvie, and Ivy stays at the house. Ivy goes upstairs, and I guess for some reason is expecting Sylvie to come back. Yeah, Sylvie circles back. Because Ivy basically sets a mommy trap for Sylvie where she's playing that music. She's got her Georgie's clothes on. She's out on the balcony. It's like this whole thing designed to fuck with her. Right. And because of the head injury, I guess, she's still hallucinating. And so she thinks it's her mother out on the balcony. She's like, I love you. They start to kiss. And then Ivy uses tongue, which snaps sylvie out of it is like holy shit this isn't my mom <laughs> it's like what what is happening now this movie definitely goes like off the rails yeah here. right You're like I, wait what yes <laughs> okay so we didn't really jump into this whole idea but there is a salacious element to this movie that they never go for but it's always under the surface because oh, like I the think, lesbian angle yeah there's definitely right. the idea that two friends becoming super close and having this very intense relationship over a short amount of time especially at that age of budding sexuality they're probably not fully aware of who they are as people it always kind of crosses over into that uh, is this like a a gay love story sylvie seems to have some questions about yeah she does mention the whole thing about being a lesbian or maybe maybe not at the beginning but this is the moment where they go for it because they have ivy use tongue with this kiss and you're just like whoa what's happening like, where is this coming from? <laughs> this doesn't feel very maternal. No, and it blows up in her face because Sylvie snaps out of it and just pushes her off the side, just like Ivy pushed off Georgie. Ivy grabs onto a necklace around Sylvie's neck and right, hangs onto it for a second until it breaks. Yeah. And then she falls to her death the same way Georgie did, right in front of Daryl's car as he's like driving back. <laughs> This ending is insane because the original ending had Ivy hitchhiking out of town and not dying. And the studio decided that she's the villain of this like, movie. Like, we need and to kill this to bitch. Yeah. And which is fine, but the fact that Daryl gets off scot free is so crazy because it's, he is well, really more guilty than a child. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, I know. He's, yeah. he's, he's the well, adult here. They play and nothing it like happens. he's been hoodwinked. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. That's the way it plays in the movie. But yeah, obviously, we know he's acting completely immoral. Now, if they don't kill off Ivy and they go with the original ending from the script, then you can kind of make peace with the fact that Daryl doesn't die or nothing really that bad happens to him. But the fact that they choose to kill the girl in the story as like her ultimate punishment for being like this, you're just like, what, what, wait, what? (laughs) Yep. So here we head back to what I think is single white female territory again with this fucking voiceover shit. Again, yeah, this right. was more improvised and done after the fact. And yeah, I don't really know what she's like. I still love her. I yeah. still miss her. This is Sylvie talking about Ivy. It's really crazy. It right. doesn't really fit with the ending of the movie. Exactly. It's again back to like this, oh, you don't yeah, even need it. I kind of understand her type thing. Yeah, I know. It, it, I think people, like, whether it's the studios or whoever, they just, like, panic, and they're like, well, people aren't going to get it. Right. And so then they have to, like, s- explain it. It's like, yeah, anybody who 
takes five seconds to understand the movie or understand the character of Ivy understands what was going on. She's like this damaged person that just wants to be loved. You don't need to tell us in a narration (laughs) by another character. Well, that's the thing. It's like they kind of like throw all these ideas at you at the end. And it doesn't, it's like the logical conclusion is just like Daryl, you know, being handcuffed and put in the back of a cop car. (laughs) It's like, but they don't go with that. They go with like the, well, we're going to kill her, but like, you know, we, we feel sorry for her. Right. Because she's struggled and they have this unspoken connection. It's cringy. It's like, oh God, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go with the shit ending of like the real heel of the movie daryl getting off scot-free and another victim ivy succumbing to her death that just have the balls to do it you don't need to fucking mitigate it a little bit with this narration where like oh i love her i guess she just wanted to be loved i guess she was just alone like lonely <laughs> yeah. or even more alone than i was or what you know, come on so what do you think sylvie and daryl's relationship was like moving well, forward? i feel like this? that's irreparable damage i think so yeah (laughs) i think as soon as she turns 18 she's a lot of of therapy yeah yeah so the second movie they try to make ivy well ivy's actually called lily it's called poison ivy 2 lily and that's Alyssa milano and she's not really like the villain it's more like it happens to her there's this weird quasi connection they try to make i think with the first one where they talk about her finding the diary of this person named Ivy. I stupidly assumed the first time I ever saw the sequel that they were saying that was the same person from the first movie. Upon my most recent attempt to rewatch the Poison Ivy 2, I no longer think that that's necessarily oh, the case. Oh, an unrelated Ivy had a diary. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. In Poison Ivy 2, she's in college. She's at, she's living with other people in an apartment. Where did this diary come from? Okay. How could it be Drew Barrymore's, yeah. who was 16? And who's she talking about? Because she reads part of it. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't really fit with the first movie. I, I don't know. The third one, I barely remember the story of. Sure. Jamie Presley looking good in it, though. Oh, That's yeah. memorable. Yeah. Definitely the hottest of the series for me. Just unbelievable. But it's more in line with the story of the first one right there's although there's motivation certainly not 16 no she was like 19 there's like uh motivation for her character to do it though there was like some revenge factor going on based on something that happens at the beginning of the movie i do like revenge then the fourth one is unbelievably terrible i mean just a pile of dog and who is in that i don't know nobody someone just yeah loser it seems like it was a straight uh dvd movie that just had the poison ivy thing thrown onto it because right. it doesn't even it's not even close in story to which the we're other familiar ones. with that move yeah and the director of the first one cat shea was just kind of disgusted with those sequels and she hopes that people don't think that she directed them that was like <laughs> her takeaway from it yeah yeah but yeah this movie in it is a time capsule for the early 90s look i mean the clothes that Drew Barrymore is wearing in this, she's oh, yeah. dressed very similar to how... She has like a crazy leather jacket at one point that has this uh, wild Topless woman emblem. like riding a yeah. tiger or something <laughs> right. with a f- yes. flaming sword. Yeah, she's dressed like how Alicia Silverstone dressed in those Aerosmith videos. She looks like she's coming out of that kind of grunge look. Oh, yeah. Early 90s look. It was the mix between the hair metal and the grunge. Yeah. It was the melding of the two. Is this movie amazing or 
really great? No, but it's certainly better than I think you would think on the surface because I do think when they focus on the friendship between the two, that that is an interesting dynamic that you see in a lot of other things because it's so true to life. Okay. Yeah. I'm with that. And we talked about it in the Jennifer's body episode or ginger snaps. It's, it's very similar. It has that feel. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a thing that I think happens to a lot of people, especially girls at that age in, in high school who, maybe don't have like a lot of friends and then they get tied in with somebody that seems so cool, but there's a dark side to it. And then there's a predatory nature to the friendship. Now it doesn't always end with them fucking the dad and killing the mom, but you know, it, it can, I think turn toxic for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure sometimes it does end with a murder of the mom and (laughs) a a fucking of the dad. Yes. I'm sure that that's happened. So certainly Trashy for sure. If last week's Black Mama White Mama was the drive-in, the Grindhouse entry for this month, this is that straight-to-video or oh, yeah. or big-time video hit that made its run probably on like Cinemax or something. And true, lots of people experienced in the nineties, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, I think we're probably good here, right? Yeah. So follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. One more big one for you. I think it's been a successful run with this. We've had some fun, and I think giving ourselves an entire year to consider next year, we might be able to avoid 1992 and really hit up different time periods of trashy movies, different styles. We'll see. I'm not committing to that. Yeah, plus, you know, we'll probably be doing other trashy movies all year round. It's not like we're limiting ourselves to one month. Right. All right, so thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.
I want this picture to be a commentary on modern conditions, stark realism, the problems that confront the average man. But with a little six. A little, but I don't want to stress it. I want this picture to be a document. I want to hold a mirror up to life. I want this to be a picture of dignity, a true canvas of the suffering of humanity. But with a little six. With a little sex in it. How about a nice musical? How can you talk about musicals at a time like this with the world committing suicide, with corpses piling up in the street, with grim death gargling at you from every corner, with people slaughtered like sheep? Maybe they'd like to forget that. Then why do they hold this one over for a fifth week at the music hall? For the ushers? They died in Pittsburgh. Like a dog. What do they know in Pittsburgh? They know what they like. If they knew what they like, they wouldn't live in Pittsburgh. That's no argument. 